want that side over there? Yeah, we usually switch, don't we? Yeah, we do. Do you want to switch? Yeah, let's switch. All right. We actually, at home, we sleep on the same side of the bed uh, every night, and that's a big deal because. And don't tell um, them why. Are you going to uh, tell here, them Yeah, why? here's the reason. Elaine, um, and this is my wife, Elaine. Isn't she beautiful? She's here. Four guys. Thank you. Um, she uh, has decided that I need to be the one that sleeps by the door. And her reasoning yes. is this. If they break into the house and kill somebody, they kill me first. That's right. I don't understand it, but that's the reason. So it's wherever exactly, we go, it's so true. that's where I have to sleep. And even we, if we have to move the alarm clock to her you side. You never sleep by a door. That's the way it is. That's so the way it goes. I'll be dead and... You'll be watching me die. So congratulations. Yeah. Sorry. How are you guys doing tonight? Good? All right. That was kind of lukewarm. Hopefully by the end of this we'll be doing better. Hey, do me a favor. Raise your hand if this is your first time at the living room. Okay. Yay. All right. That's cool. That's cool. Well, welcome. How'd you get the front row seat? That's pretty sweet. Yeah, you did. You the did. The VIP section right yeah. there. Yeah. Great seats, but the speaking, I don't know about that. So you guys hang with us and we'll see how we'll do. Um, like I said, this is my wife, Elaine. My name is Al. We've been married for 15 and a half years. And thank yes. you. Thank you. Yes. I think they couldn't believe it, but yeah. So, um, we have a 13 year old boy and an 11 year old girl who thinks she's 13. Um, so we yeah. are parenting kind of twins at this point. They, uh, tweens, teens, man, you, nothing prepares you for it. But no. one of the things we have done for the last 10 and a half years of our marriage is work with, um, Young people who are in relationships, either pre-engaged or engaged to be married. And we absolutely love diving into relationships and just talking about what makes them tick, what doesn't make them tick, what's true, what's not true. And so hopefully what you're going to see tonight, you're going to see a little bit of that. Um, we're going to kind of tell you a little bit about our dating story to start with, and then we'll kind of jump into the, to the material. So um, tell them about our, 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 our initial beginning. Well, the initial beginning is a story we don't even agree on, so it doesn't even That's do exactly any good right. to tell them that because there's two different versions, the right version and the wrong version. <laughs> so, but we met at church. We were both on staff, and it took me a while to warm up to him. But we dated. I, my version is we dated for three months, engaged for six months, and married right at, we knew each other right at a year. Yeah. Right then. Yeah. We moved fast. Yes. And you know what? If we had to rely on eHarmony, we would never have been paired up on Absolutely. eHarmony. It would not have happened. We're exact opposite in almost every way. Yes, we are. Um, just a little bit about him. Um, his, his dating background is he came out of several long-term relationships. That's right. And Elaine, she hadn't dated much at all. We were completely opposite in, in dating experience. He was my first real boyfriend, and I'm still dating him yeah, today. Yeah, exactly. So it's really Pretty good. sweet, yeah, huh? Yeah, isn't that fun? <laughs> yeah. Um, now, he comes from a divorced family. His mom and dad divorced when he was about 12, 13, yeah. and then his dad remarried, so he's a product of a blended family, so he's got step-siblings. Yeah, and Elaine's parents are married for 43 years this year. Yep, 45. 45 years. Not that I'm correcting. Exactly. I'm not supposed the, to do There's that. the right version and the wrong version. <laughs> Get used to that, fellas. That's just the <laughs> way it works. Yeah, and um, so as you can imagine, we came from totally different backgrounds when it came a to- A whole family of origin experiences yeah. in life and everything. Marriage, what it was like. Do you stick through it through the thick and thin? What 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 is all involved in that? And so it was totally different. And then the other way, our personalities are completely different. He is an extrovert off the charts. I mean, he is very outgoing. He's a lot of fun. He's loud. He is a night owl. The later it gets, the louder he gets. I mean, he's just <laughs> yeah. a great guy. You you would want him as your friend. He's always fun. That's right. And Elaine is quiet. She <laughs> goes to bed at ten thirty at night. 
and she's also fun, but she... Uh, fun in a quiet kind yeah. of way. Her time, one of the funny th- stories about our marriage is I, when I get into a kind of a creative bent, I'll stay up really late at night. So college yeah. was a really great experience for me because <laughs> we were always up late at night. Um, there have been times that we have passed where I'm going to bed at 4 and she's getting up at 4.15. True. So we actually sleep together for about 15 minutes that night. Yeah. But that's kind of how we're wired. And then so. And it's not that different even today. You're still a night owl. And yeah. You still stay up really late. So. Yeah. So for us, what we're trying to say is if you're different, if you uh, have a lot of challenges in dating, don't worry about it. There's still hope. As long as you keep doing the right things, as long as you believe the right things, there's hope. Because, hey, we're still married after that's 15 right. and a half years, <laughs> and I can't even believe it. Honestly, that's she's right. amazing. Well, I'm just that awesome, you know. That's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. No. All right. So let, let's talk about what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, we actually did this talk at the Labor Day Retreat for Singles um, last September. And um, what we did is we, we, we sent out a survey and we said, hey, we want to talk about lies in relationships. Would you mind sending back some questions for us, to, uh, some lies that you've heard or maybe that you've experienced? And, and we'll actually incorporate them into the talk and we'll just... We'll kind of do this for him. And so we sent this thing out. And once we got rid of all kind of like the duplicate lies, this is kind of like this. There were over 150 lies that single adults, yeah, from the ages of about 25 up to about 40, sent us back and said, these are the things we struggle with in relationships. And so we just decided we're just going to go through all 150 tonight, right? Right now. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. No, we're not really. No, we're, not. Um, we're going to go through... So, so at that point, we knew there was no way we could really talk about each lie and how, they, how to solve it and what's the truth behind it. So what we did is we said, hey, let's look at really what's behind lies, and then that will help people process through them. And so that's kind of what we're going to walk you through tonight. We're going to start um, just deal, talking about what's behind lies. We're going to talk about a couple questions you can ask, and then maybe give you a strategy in the future to look for that. So uh, do you want to kick this off and go? Yeah, so I'll start by talking about, first of all, the question is, why do we even believe lies in the first place? Um, you know, why do we even believe them? Well, most of the time we believe lies usually because lies meet real needs. The trouble is that needs that are met through a lie always come at some kind of a cost. They're never fully satisfied. And the way you usually see the way that takes a cost is in your relationships, specifically in dating relationships because that's what we're talking about. But there's always a relational cost involved when we try to get needs met through lies that we're believing. Now, most of us don't set out to believe things that aren't true. We're not usually that kind of people, right? We want to believe things that are true. but So we don't set out and try to believe these things. So how does it even start in the first place was one of the questions that we had. Um, and before we go any further, I want to have a disclaimer. We're aware that there are some of you in the audience who are not Christians. And so some of what we talk about tonight may not be anything you've ever heard before or you may not even agree with. And that's okay. We're just glad that you're here. But as Christians, we believe that all of us enter the world with sort of a blank slate on our souls and a set of God-given needs. These needs are designed to be met in the context of relationships. And first and foremost, these needs are met through our relationship with God. Then, the way God has designed us um, in such a way that other needs he'll meet through the context of our relationships. Now, these needs are not wrong. It's not bad. It's not bad to have needs. And nobody, and I know women, we don't ever want to be categorized as that needy female, but needs really are not wrong or bad. As we said, they're God-given. And so for us, they're good. But they are needs, and they are going to crave to be met somehow. So as we experience life and as we interact in our relationships and things like that, 
the blank slate in our soul gradually gets filled in and we develop ways of thinking and consequently ways of behaving that get our needs met. And there's two primary ways in which that happens. The first one you're probably well familiar with, it's called the pain-pleasure principle. Um, and again, it's in our quest to get our needs met, we tend to seek after and repeat those things that bring us pleasure and favorable responses from others. And we avoid the things that cause pain and cause negative responses from other people. And then the other way that we get these needs met, or we get develop our thinking around these things, is as we go through life, we get messages from different people. First and foremost, from our parents, other authority figures. It could be a coach, a teacher, someone like that in our life. But also our peers, the people that we hang out with. We are constantly receiving messages about who we are, um, our value and our worth, and how to get these needs met. So we internalize those things and we begin to develop thoughts around that and consequently we behave in the ways in accordance with those thoughts. For example, and examples are going to be helpful here. I have a high need for acceptance. I don't know if any of you have a need for acceptance, but I have a need for acceptance. And one of the ways I learned this early on was that if I was a good girl and I did all the right things, I got a favorable response from my parents and I usually got rewarded for it. So I learned early on that in order to be accepted, I need to be perfect. And I need to be perfect in accordance with what other person's standard of perfection might be. So the way this played out in my relationships was I strove to be the perfect person in every relationship in my life. And it was always changing according to who that friend was that I wanted their acceptance from. And in our dating relationship, um, I wanted to be viewed by Al as the perfect girlfriend. And that need for acceptance was so great that actually a lot of the bumps and stuff that we experienced, and again, I talk about how the relationship, when you meet a need through a lie, there's a relational cost. Well, a lot of times, my need to be viewed as perfect by him showed up in the way that I would lie. Like, I would lie about stuff because I didn't want him to know how truly that I wasn't perfect. And I would deceive him sometimes because my desire was for him to see me as flawless, pretty much. I didn't want him to not accept me, and I didn't want him to not love me and reject me. Yeah, and, and all, we all go through these things. There's all sorts of experiences yeah. and, and, and things. Um, I'll give you a, a one from the dating relationship that I had, and um, this was before Elaine, and so if she gets a little anger in her eyes, it's okay, because I'm going to talk Ooh. about a former girlfriend. She's not big on that. Oh, but um, I, I, <laughs> I dated this girl in college, and, you know, it was one of those things that I wanted affection, I wanted companionship, I wanted these things, and and it was convenient, and we dated, and at the beginning it was good, and then, it, you know, towards the middle, she started talking about, hey, let's get married, and I was like, in the back of my head, I was like, there's no way I'm getting married, but she likes my family, they like her, this is meeting a need in mine, so I'm just going to hang in this relationship, knowing at the end of the day, I wasn't going to come through, I was going to break it off, and I was going to head to the hills. And let me tell you something. Such a good guy. Yeah, I tell you, this is the role model. This is it. Yeah. That's my man. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> hey, rewind the tape to the lying and deceiving part, would you? Yeah, oh my no. gosh. I'm I know, sorry. I'm serious. And guys, let me go. I'm going to stop right here and give a commercial break. Don't do that. <laughs> like, it's a bad thing. And I tell you what, it took me years to realize. How much damage I had done to this girl. It absolutely did. Because the thing was, and guys, 
you know this, and girls, you probably know this too. Girls' emotions move much faster than guys' emotions do. And guys can kind of compartmentalize that and say, oh, this is just hanging out, and I don't really like you that way. But girls are like, no, I'm, I'm in. I'm all in. You know, that, that's the way that works. Yeah. And I severely damaged her to the point where I absolutely just, I, it, it really, really wrecked me. It really did. And guys, if you choose to do that, if you are unwise enough to do that, let me tell you, this is where I got with this. It was, it was between me and God one night. We were sitting there, and I remember I, had, I talked to Elaine the next day. I said, I think I need to apologize. Because basically what God showed me is that I took one of his children, and I cared nothing about her. All I cared about was me. And I was so selfish and I was so mean that I just didn't care about her feelings at all. Now, great thing is she's married, she's got a family, and that's great. And I'm married, I got a family, but I tell you what, I did a number on her, and there's no reason I should have. The only reason that happened was because I believed the lie that it doesn't matter, her emotions don't matter, all that matters is my needs are getting met, even if, even if it's at the expense of another person. Yeah, that's a great example of how, again, the cost, there is always a cost when we buy into lies, and it's always usually in the context of a relationship at that point. Another example from my life, it's more of a negative example, uh, revolves around the need that we all have, and especially women, for security. And security is defined as a freedom from harm, the ability to feel safe. And for me, as a teen, um, the men in my life who were supposed to protect me and I should have been safe with were not safe and did not protect me. And so as a result, I developed a belief that no man can be trusted, that all men um, are after what they can get out of a woman, and then once they're done, they will leave you, and you will be alone and abandoned. And that was a legitimate, like, a lie. And the way it showed up in my dating relationships is it severely diminished my ability to interact in a healthy way with guys because I didn't trust any of them. And I was always second-guessing their motives. And I would let them get just so close, and then I would put a wall up because I would remember, you can't be trusted. You're not safe. And so what happened to me got applied to all men in all of my relationships. Yeah. In fact, the first two times Elaine said she loved me, she said it like this. I love you. I didn't mean that. <laughs> like That's it true. was That was one of those things. I did. just acted out on it. It was like the instinct was I love you, and then she had to kind of cover it up and I say, said, I don't mean that. I, I don't did mean not that. mean that. That was not true what I it just said. It was so nice. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. The first time he was really nice about it, and then I did it again, <laughs> and then it was not as fun. Yeah. So, again, all I'm saying is our needs are going to get met one way or the other, and they're either going to be met through healthy ways or unhealthy ways in our relationships. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I guess what we're saying in this whole first section is it's never about the lie. Right. It's never about the lie. It's about what drives the lie. Because our bodies crave so much for needs. They, they, it, we, we just, they're God-given. They're there. They're real. They want to be met. Yeah, there's nothing bad about it. But our bodies crave so much for that that we're willing to buy into some things that maybe aren't true. We're willing to do some things that we maybe not, we shouldn't do. Because we want to meet these needs in our life. And that's just the way it is. That's the way it is for us. You know, we're not nearly as bad people as you think we are right now. But that's the <laughs> but way it is for wait. us. And that's the way it is for you guys too. It just happens. 
we just have this thing. And so yeah. what we're going to do is we're going to kind of talk about a couple things and, and lay out some lies and see if you can kind of resonate with these. But the idea behind this and, and, and the strategy behind figuring out, okay, I've got a lie, what do I do with it, is basically this. Figure out what the lie is, mm -hmm. and you're going to do that by being in community with other believers. You're going to do that by, by listening to God. You're going to do that by, by uh, reading his scripture. But we've got to figure out what the lie is first. And then we're going to identify, okay, what need is driving that? And then you're going to say, God, what do, you, what do you really say about this need? Let me give you an example. Um, there's a, there's a God-given need. It's called significance. Anybody here not want to feel significant? No, everyone does, right? Everyone wants to feel valuable. Everyone wants to feel like their life has purpose, right? I'm valued. Other people find me valuable. Well, see, here's the way this works in dating. When you go to I want to feel valuable, and then you connect this idea with, I'm only valuable if I'm in a relationship. You see how that small that change is? But it's really true. I want to be valuable. Nothing wrong with that. I only feel valued if a guy shows interest in me. There's a ton wrong with that. Right there. So what you have to do is you've got to pull it back and say, God, what do you say about value? What do you say about significance? What do you say about all that stuff? Well, in Ephesians 2, it says, that you were so valuable that before you were created, God knew everything you would ever do. And he laid out some good works for you to do. See, that's how valuable you are to God. And that's where we need to find our significance. And yet, we go over here and go, no, 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 I'm only valuable if I'm in a relationship. I'm only valuable if she finds me attractive and wants to be around me. That's just not true. One of the, um, I, you guys maybe are too young for this. So we, we use this example. Um, who, anybody seen the movie Jerry Maguire? Right? Oh, What's nice. the line in the Jerry Maguire? What is it? Somebody yell it out. Show me the money. No, no, show me the, the money as well. But <laughs> you know what? In the end, he stands up and he goes to have this huge romantic comedy moment and he stands up and says, You complete me. Right? That's what he says. And everyone goes, Oh, it's such a wonderful That's so thing. Romantic. It's such a lie. Such it a is. You look at it and go, Wow, that's awesome. But it's a lie. That's bull. <laughs> Another person doesn't complete you. We're completed. We're, we, our identity is wrapped up in God and who we are in God. And then when it's right, when it's a time to have this covenant relationship, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, then, then, then two become one, and there's a whole cool thing that happens there. But when we're dating, you don't need anybody else. I know you want to have somebody else. That's all right. But to feel significant, you don't need anybody else. And if you feel yourself dealing with that, going, huh, I kind of feel in my heart, I haven't shared it with anybody, but I kind of feel in my heart that if I'm not in a dating relationship, I don't feel valuable, get with someone and talk to them. Mm -hmm. Figure it out. Start, you know, and, and confess it to God and say, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm struggling. What can you do? Yeah, that is great. Um, and then the other thing, I've already shared with you about a need for acceptance, but it is a God-given need that we all have. Acceptance is favorable and ready reception with positive approval. Now, that's a fancy way of saying basically what I found this other definition that I like better is to accept someone is basically to affirm to them that you are glad and it's a very good thing that that person is alive. And I really like that definition. In Romans 8.1, Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. And because of that, he writes later on in Romans 15, 7, therefore you should accept one another in the same way that God has accepted you in Christ. So what that means for us is we are called to accept others 
in the exact same way that God has accepted us, which is 100% just the way that we are, warts and all. So this might be a good time, actually, to talk about the fact that sometimes we're not aware that we're even believing a lie until we suffer the effects of it relationally a lot of times. Um, It's kind of like how when you go to class now as students, you don't even have to think about how you're going to get there. You're kind of on autopilot. Your your feet just naturally know how to go. You just don't think about it. You've done it so many times. Well, lies can actually be that way too. So an easy example of this between us and our relationship was a tactic, my need for acceptance. I had a strategy. And I didn't know that until Al showed me later on once we were married. But it was what I call turning the tables. And so what would happen is I have a high need, again, to be viewed as perfect, and that makes me feel accepted. So when we would be in an argument or some kind of conflict, and it was apparent that I was on the losing end of it, and, uh, you know, my ego was Wait, on the you line. Mean the, you mean the wrong end, right? The one time that I was actually, <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, it would appear that, you know, my ego was on the line, and I was actually going to have to fess up to something that I was wrong, or that I I transgressed or committed some offense, what would happen inside of me was I began to get threatened. It was like, I can't be wrong, because if I'm wrong, then, then I'm not perfect, and that's not acceptable to me. So I would pull out a tactic, and ladies, you may be familiar with this, I don't know, but it would be something like this. In the middle of it, we're talking, and it's, it's, I'm losing again, so then I would start this. I would cry, and I would say, I'm just such a bad woman. I'm such a bad person. I'm just not worthy of the love of yours, you know, your love, and you're such a good guy, and I'm so bad. Guys, have you ever had a female do that? Okay. Women, have you ever done this? I know I am not the only one. You got to try it sometime. This is like kryptonite, kryptonite to a guy. Absolutely. At this point, when she starts crying, it's like she's on fire, and I'm just trying to put her out. I'm like, no, honey, you're the best. Oh, it wasn't my, it was my fault. I'll own it. That's all right. It's okay. You're great. You're awesome. Oh, yeah, you're awesome. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Really, no, I'm not. You know, and keep it going, keep it going. And so what that was is that was actually, and again, I tell you about the fact that it will show up in your relationships. What Al and I were in the process of was actually authentic community right there. We were trying to have genuine, legitimate dialogue, honest confession, and my need to be viewed as perfect was greater and more important to me than the desire to have authentic relationship with my husband or my boyfriend at the time. And that's an example of how I just did it. That was just my tactic, and it worked for a long time. And then re- not too very long ago, he was like, you know, you do this thing? I was like, yeah, I do that thing. He's like, rats, you figured it out, you know? <laughs> I guess I got to stop. Yeah. But you know what? It just hijacked, it hijacked really the quest for intimacy, even through conflict. And that's how it shows up in relationships a lot of times. That's another example. But. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here's, here's the other thing. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of transition to a different subject here. Um, another need we have is for affection. All right. And that's the, uh, they define that as to give and receive care and closeness through physical touch. Right? That's the physical part of the relationship affection. Um, and just to let you know, guys, there is a, such a thing as non-sexual physical touch. All right, that's, <laughs> that's part of the thing. That's like when your mom holds you or your, your friend pats you on the back or whatever. Like that. Yeah. So, sort of that's like how that. guys do that. Like that that's not know. really how they do it, but okay. it's okay. Um, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, that's affection, right? And so, so we have a need for that. And, 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 and there's, there's a, the, 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 the want and desire for, for sexual affection, too. And we're going to talk about it in just a second. But 
there's a need for that. And so that's not a bad thing to feel like I need affection. The problem is, is when we start to throw a lie on top of that, a lie of, uh, let's see if this one, it's impossible to have a sexually pure relationship. Um, it's unrealistic to wait until marriage. If I don't have sex with him, he's going to leave me and find someone that will. Any of these things ring a bell? Anything sing? Well, that's the problem. We take this legitimate need for affection, to be held, to be touched, to, to, to do all of these things, and we throw this lie on top that says, hey, hey, I know it's affection, but, but we're going to put this type, we're, we can only look at affection through this box, and it has to be like this, and if I don't do this, I'm going to lose him. Well, let me tell you, let me, let's going to back up, and we're going to take a time out. I want to talk about that real quick. Um, I know you guys have probably heard, if you grew up in church or you've been here for very long or, or wherever, someone says, uh, don't have sex before your marriage, right? Everyone's heard that, don't have sex before you're married. And when they ask you, if you ask the question, why is that, most of the time the answer they give is, well, the Bible tells us not to, right? That's what they say, the Bible tells us not to. That in itself is very, very true. It is absolutely true the Bible tells us not to. But here's what I want to do. I want to take a couple minutes and I want to try to explain to you why it's true. Not just the fact that the Bible tells us it's not, but I want to explain to you why it's true because this is going to be important to you, not tomorrow, but it's going to be tremendously important to you one day when you're married. Really quick, we're made up of three kind of different parts. We kind of have the spirit part, which is the, you know, community with God part. It's our, it, 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 it's the, it's the, the spiritual connection we have to God and other people. So if you're inside the faith and another person's inside the faith, it's that spiritual connection you have between this, between those two. The second piece of us is we are emotional. We have these emotions, these, these emotions, these thoughts, these feelings. All that is kind of wrapped up in this middle piece of this emotional piece. And the third part we have is physical, right? So we have physical, emotional, and spiritual. And what happens is when, when you enter into a covenant relationship, when you get married and, and you have this covenant relationship that we're going to be one together and, and that whole magical thing happens where two people become one flesh, this is how the Bible tells us, you connect, God connects you on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, and on a physical level. In other words, we want you to connect spiritually, growing, being, uh, pursuing God with all our heart. We want you to connect emotionally. I want to know how she feels. She wants to know how I feel. We want to know and be known. And then we want to connect physically. We want to have sex with each other because it's the physical manifestation of this intimacy. We're growing. The problem is, is when we have sex outside of this covenant marriage relationship, what we do is this. There's no spiritual connection. Even if you're both believers, that only happens through the covenant relationship. And this emotional connection is never there. It's never sustained for very long, right? Because, hey, we're, having, we're just having sex. Okay, now we're done having sex. I'm gone. I'm going to go do my own thing. And so what happens is the physical connection is still there, but the emotional connection starts to wear down over time. Absolutely wears down over time. And so what we do is we start to build this wall. We start to brick this wall up between the physical part of sex and the emotional part of closeness until at the end of the day, you can have sex, theoretically, without feeling anything about it, right? You know how we know this? You know what abuse victims, uh, sexually abused victims say? I just learned to lay there, let it happen. I didn't have any feelings about it. That's exactly what they say, and it's exactly what happens. Because realistically, we separate 
our emotions from our physical body. And then when we go decide to get married, we find that one person that, that we totally God has hooked us up with, this is the one person for the rest of our life, and we try to turn this intimacy on, and he connects us spiritually, and we have emotional connection, and we have this wall there that prevents us from connecting this piece to this piece. It just doesn't happen. And it takes years. And let me tell you, years to tear this wall down. Absolutely. Elaine said when we were talking about how we were different, I came from, uh, uh, um, I, I had some long-term dating relationships. She didn't. I had a sexual past. She didn't. And 10, 11, 12 years into our marriage, it would still flare up at times mm -hmm. that she felt like these two things for me, there was still a piece inside that was preventing those things from happening. And it took lots of hard conversations and lots of nights of talking and lots to do working through that, lots of prayer, lots of renewing our mind. But what I'm saying to you is that the more you do the physical part without the emotional and spiritual thing connected to it, the worse it's going to be when you get married. And so you may not be think, oh, I have no guy in my mind that I want to marry. I don't know if I'll ever get married. I just want to enjoy my college years. That's your choice. But I'm going to tell you, it's a lie. It's a lie because you think it doesn't have any effect on you in the end. And when you finally get married, take it from someone who knows, when you finally get married and you find that right person, it is going to hamper and hinder your ability to be intimate with your spouse. And it's going to take a lot of work to recover. So think about that. Every time you're faced with this decision, do I do this or not? Is this what I want to do or not? First, it's a lie that I need to have sex with him. I need to have sex with her or she'll leave me. Because if that's the, what's keeping them there, send them on their way anyway. And the other thing is, it's never just about the sex. Because if you do that over and over and over, it will hamper your ability to be intimate. I will say girls, ladies, maybe not girls, but I'm reading an amazing book right now. I just want to throw this out there, but it's called Sex and the Soul of a Woman. And in there, she is exactly saying what Al has said. It's like when, when, a, when a woman has sex with a man outside of the context of marriage, it's like she takes a piece of her soul and she just gives it to each person that she doesn't get back. But it's an amazing book to read. It's just amazing. Um, well, the last one that I wanted to talk about is respect, and uh, and I respect you, Darren. Thank you, thank you. I do. Thanks, baby. Honor. And respect means to value and regard highly, to convey great worth. Um, Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in bro brotherly love. So this is um, something that, you know, when we did it at Labor Day, we only talked about it in context of the men, and then the women out there were like, wait a minute, we want respect too. And you know what? You're right. I mean, in as much as men, and we hear this more about men, have a need to be respected, women do too. So we want to show respect to one another and honor each other as, as human beings who are worthy of love and affection and worthy of respect. Some of those examples of, of different lies that came out on the survey were my value is in how I perform or produce. In other words, my, my value, my, my ability to be respected, my worthiness of respect is in what I put out there and produce. I cannot show weakness. 
or if she really knew me, she wouldn't respect me. Now, I found a quote in a book by Shanti Feldham. It's called For Women Only. And she, it's about a survey that she did about all about what men think. But she asked the men this question. Would you rather feel alone and unloved in the world, or would you rather feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone? And the results showed an overwhelming majority of the men that were asked would rather feel unloved than not respected. So just as women want to be loved, and we do, men want to be respected. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, go the life again where my values is how, how I, I perform or produce. Yeah, can't show weakness. That's um, really more guys, but I mean. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay. I know. That's what I was going to say. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did I steal your thunder? Not anymore. Okay. But yeah. Uh, no, it was good. But it, the guys, isn't that true? Isn't that true? Oh, I can't, I, can't, I can't tell her about this. I can't do this. I can't do that. It's absolutely true. Guys, we are just driven like crazy by respect. Absolutely. In fact, in Ephesians 5, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't ask the um, wife to love the husband, but it says to respect. And um, it's because God knew. He just knows that's what drives a man, to respect. Respect and honor is what drives a man. That's what, mm-hmm. what makes him love the, the person that he's along, um, alongside. All right, so we've talked about a couple things. We've talked about lies are really lies because they meet a need, but they only meet it falsely for, for a temporary time. And then we said, okay, when you're confronting this lie, what do we do? Well, we identify the lie, and then we, we say, okay, what need is this meeting? And then what does God say about this need in the Bible so I can start to renew my mind? And then what's the third step? Well, the third step is this. You have to ask yourself, am I willing to trust God to meet this need for me? Am I willing to trust God to meet this need for me? Now, we have some creative things we do sometimes. Um, when we pray this prayer, we, we think we can outsmart God or whatever, or we think if, if we pray this prayer, then he's definitely going to show up in the way we want. It's like, God, I'm trusting you, I'm trusting you, trusting, trusting you to meet my need for affection and companionship, and if he could be 6'2 and have dark hair and like to dance, right? <laughs> like, that's the prayer we pray sometimes, that we absolutely, lutely want, mm-hmm. crave it so bad. So the question we really need to ask is not, am I willing to... Wait for God, am I willing to trust God to meet this need for me? The real question and the hard question and the question if you can learn to ask yourself now would save you from wrestling with 150 lies when you're 35 and 40 years old is this. Am I willing to trust God to meet this need for me in whatever way he chooses to do? In other words, I have a need for affection. I have a need for companionship. And it's not okay if, that is, is, if, if a lot of that need is provided by my girlfriends. I need, you know, if I'm, a, if I'm a female, I have a bunch of girlfriends. I can't, them touching me is not the same. I need a boyfriend. This is the only way this need can be met. And that's what gets people in trouble, right? I have to have this. And yet if you could learn to say, God, I'm willing to trust you to meet this need. And I'm willing to trust you to meet it however you choose to meet it. Because you promised you would take care of me. You promised you would never leave me. You promised you would never forsake me. If we could figure this out, if this group of people could figure this out, I guarantee you, at 30 years old, you will not be wrestling with 150 lies that have just been built up over time and beaten you down and beaten you down. And you'll be involved in some relationships. You'll be involved in some marriages that true intimacy is born out of. 
Now, we know it's hard. It's not easy just to go, okay, I understand the concept. So on Saturday night when I'm alone, that's cool. I'll just, I'll just trust God, you know. It's tough. It's tough. And that's why you've got to surround yourself by a community of believers. You've got to surround yourself by some great friends who also are on the same path with you. That you can call up and say, you know, it's Saturday night and, man, I really, really, really want to be on a date with this guy. And I know he's bad news. And I know every time we go on a date, it ends up going the way I don't want it to go. I need you to, to come around and support me. That's what the community is about. That's why it's important. So our feelings, they will wreak havoc with this concept of willing to trust God and wait however he wants to do it. The other thing that combats against this, and, and um, as Christians we're really good at doing this, is sometimes we'll go, okay, I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to run down this path as hard and as fast after God as I can. And you're doing it, and, and things aren't working out, and the, all these things are, are, are happening, and, and the girl you like, is she's doing something else. And meanwhile, you're watching a buddy of yours who's not running hard and fast after God, but he's a Christian, and he's kind of doing whatever he wants to do, and things are working out, and you know, he's getting the babes, and he's getting to do all the fun stuff. And you're, you're, you're comparing the two, going, why is it when I do what's right, I get nothing? And when he does what's wrong, he gets it all. And what we're trying to tell you is he really doesn't have it all. He really doesn't have it all. What he's done is he's compromised. He's decided to buy into some lies to meet some needs for right now. And that's all it does is meet some for right now. But in the end, in the end, the person who charges hard after God, the person who says, God, you are the person to meet my need, you're the one that's going to do it, that's the person who wins in the end of the day. Because let me tell you something. I don't know if you've ever heard this from a married person before. She is terrible at meeting my needs. And I am terrible at meeting her needs. Because we're both fallible human beings. God is incredible at meeting my needs through her and through other relationships I have. God uses me to meet her needs through me and other relationships she's had. It never comes down to just us two. And if I look at Elaine, as incredible as she is as a person to meet my needs, it never works. That's why people quit being married. You didn't meet my needs, I'm out of here. So if we can just challenge you, if we can just challenge you, it, the reason Brad wanted us to come and talk about this stuff is because he, he, he looked in the future and saw 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, and he knew that decisions and choices you make, not just actions, but decisions about what you believe, decisions about lies that you decide to put in your life and act on, those things are going to come back huge in 10 years. And you guys have never been there, so you don't know what's coming. So charge hard after God. Look for lies in your life. Figure out what needs they really matter, what needs they're really trying to fulfill. Find out what God says about that and then say, you know what? God, I am lonely and I want affection and I want companionship and whatever those needs are. But I know I'm not going to find those anywhere except through you. So I'm willing to wait. And I'm willing to wait no matter what. Because I know you're for me and not against me. You guys pray with us? Father, uh, man, you're incredible. And we are so grateful for you. We're grateful for uh, 
the opportunity to be in a relationship with you. And um, it, it's true, God, we, there's no way we get our needs met without you. And we'll just end up buying into the lie after lie after lie after lie. Father, uh, we pray that you will show up big time in all of our lives, it, you know, ours included, as we continue to combat lies that we learn and, 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 and act, on, act on as if they're true. And uh, Father, we, we pray for these group of students here that, um, that you would just protect them, that you would be with them, you would give them courage in the face of, of some uncertainty, courage in the face of some needs that aren't being met, courage in the face of some, some things in their lives to stand up and, and, and do what you would ask us to do. We, we pray for discernment on their behalf, that, that they would be able to, to, to identify what's lie and what's truth and really, really act on it. And we pray for this community, this community of students that, that are banding together, Father, that they would support one another in a way that is just supernatural, that they would feel when they come into the living room that they are totally, totally supported by everyone in here and that they're all growing and they're all charging after you together, Father. We are so excited about what's going on here and, and just the way you're working in each person's life. And, uh, Father, uh, thanks for loving us. Thanks for uh, giving us your son. Thanks for making it possible for us to have a relationship with you. And uh, thanks. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you guys Amen. very much.